Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? That's an easy question. <laughs> uh, I had actually, Pastor Craig and I did have the privilege of being at the men's retreat this weekend. I was there Friday night and was able to speak uh, to our men. And then also we were there Saturday morning, yesterday morning, as Pastor Craig McCann shared. And then we, we made it home and I was here for last night's service and today. So it's really a privilege. It's an honor to be able to be with everybody here this weekend and also be with our men. I got to divide my time. It's it was, a, it was awesome. It's a full weekend, but it was great. Um, I wanted to mention something, just really affirm and reiterate what Pastor Craig already shared about the announcements. If you've never been water baptized, I, I do want to push just a little bit, because I am kind of a pusher. <laughs> I'm a little bit of an exhorter, unashamedly so. If you have, if you have not been water baptized, I just want to say to you that it is your next step of obedience in walking with Jesus. And when you step into the waters, one of the greatest things that I, lo I love about water baptism, it's, it's probably one of my favorite things to witness when we come together as God's people, that and baptism with the Holy Spirit and, of course, salvation. But I, it's not just a religious ritual. Do you got, you, we know this, right? It's an obedient step and a, a really a, a public confession of the faith that we have already responded to in Christ. But you know, we're not just saying it to one another. We are saying to the principalities and the powers and every spiritual being that we belong to Jesus. It's a spiritual thing. It's a very powerful moment in, the, in, in our development. And I just want to say, if you've not been water baptized and you feel a little resistance, I understand what that is, but God is, God is calling you into that step of obedience. And I want to take that, I want to be right with you when you take that step. So that's my spiel. Amen, if that's you, or if you're watching and, and, you're not, and you weren't able to make it today, next week, yeah, Saturday, I'd love to see you, and we'll take that step together. I, um, I come to you this morning with a burden on my heart, and I usually would go about this a different way, but I felt like we should do this right now. And I, I don't actually have, a, I don't have an understanding as to why I'm carrying this bur burden other than I pray every morning, I pray every day, and I ask the Lord to show me what's on his heart. And this morning as I was praying, he put Israel on my heart. And um, I just want you to know, I, one of the things I love about Pastor Steve Shell, our former pastor, is that he really did bring an understanding to this church about supporting Israel and praying for Yahweh's oldest friends, first covenant people, that they would come to know their Messiah. And I, I love that we've been going to Israel every other year or every year, and we're going to continue doing that. Um, we don't believe in replacement theology whatsoever. God is moving. God is moving among the Jewish people. And I'm carrying a burden. It doesn't happen, you know, just something that it's a theological thing this morning. It came upon me as I was praying this morning that we together as a church would pray for the Jewish people to know their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so... I'm asking for you to enter into that prayer with me this morning because I believe it's on the Father's heart. It probably is on the Father's heart, obviously, every day, but I believe he was emphasizing that Northwest Church would pray that prayer today. And so uh, after that, I also want to pray for physical healing, okay? And we're going to do that. So uh, let's just do that right now. Father, we just thank you for your heart for the Jewish people. Really, Lord, we know that your heart is for all nations, but there is something about your oldest friends where you are calling them back. You're calling them to you to know their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would move mightily 
among the Jewish people. And we bless Israel and we pray today, God, that you would move in a way where we would see a messianic movement among the Jewish people that would astound us in these days. We pray that you would protect Israel. We pray that you would move in such a way, Lord, that it would be all over the news and everything else. God, we just pray that your hand would move across that land and really all over the world where Jewish people are scattered, that they would have a revelation of Jesus Christ and visions and dreams and that the word, your word, would come alive to them and they would realize who you are in fullness. So we just partner with your heart today and we thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. And it doesn't stop there. If you need physical healing in your body, I just want to stop for a second and pray for that. Would you raise your hand if you just, you need God physically to touch your body. Okay. Now, if if that was you, just put your hands out to the Lord. This is about receiving healing from the Lord. If the church should be good at anything, it's praying. Amen. I mean, I know we're going to, I'm going to preach and all that, but we've got to be people that press into God in prayer. So Father, we just thank you for your church. And I thank you for every person that has their hands out to you to receive. We pray, God, that you would release healing power among us right now, that you would come among us in your healing and your revealing power. Release the gift of healing, Lord, all over this room. Even to those that are watching, we pray that we would see the testimony of the Lord among us. You are our healer. Lord, we thank you for hospitals and doctors and nurses and medical professionals. Lord, we're trying to steward our bodies the best that we know how, but we acknowledge Above all that, you're our great physician, and we need your heavenly touch. Would you lay your hands upon each one this morning to receive physical healing, and that you would make whatever's wrong, that you would make it right. So we thank you, Lord. Extend your hand and touch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I just had a burden to do that this morning, and maybe we should just every week do that and we will have people available for prayer after the service if you need ministry or you want to continue to pray into those things we would be glad to partner with you Um, by the way my name is Ben Dixon and I have the privilege of serving you as the lead pastor here at Northwest Church and I'm very grateful to to do that and I wanted to say to you if I haven't met you yet I would love to meet you shake your hand try to learn your name it's going to take a while for all of us to learn names but I'm doing my best, and uh, many of you are, with smiles on your faces, reminding me. Please keep the smiles on your faces, you remind me. It's going to take a while. You remember when Pastor Steve Shell said, for 12 months, don't grow weary in doing good, okay? <laughs> Continue to help me uh, know your name, because I genuinely want to know everyone in this church, and maybe that is just not going to happen, but I'm certainly going to try. And I would also say to you that if you ever want to get coffee with me um, and just spend an hour together, I'd love to hear your story. You can just email me, and I would love to do that. That might sound crazy, but it might, we might plan it out for six months, but that's fine. I would love to, to meet with any of you, and I make myself available. I want to hear your story as we do life together. So there is that invitation. You cannot say it didn't happen because it just did. As you came in, you received a program, and in there are some notes. Those are my notes. I like them very much. So you can go ahead and pull those out this morning. And you're going to notice that um, we are in a sermon series, but because we have men at the men's retreat, I'm deviating from that a little bit because I want everybody to hear my last sermon in that sermon series, which is called Exchanging a Selfish Heart. So I thought everybody's got to be in for that one. 
So I'm going to share that next week. And I have something on my heart out of 1 Peter chapter 2 that I want to share with you this morning. And my message is entitled, A Vision to Grow. Out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, just a few verses today. On your notes, you'll notice an introduction. I'm just going to go ahead and read this. And this is, I'm writing from the perspective of my own life and my wife as well when I say these words. And here's what it says. When our children were young, we took them to their pediatrician every few months for regular checkups. Our doctor had a specific metric system that measured the growth of our children at their relative stages in comparison to other kids. A typical report went something like this. Your son is in the 20th percentile for weight and 30th percentile for height. If you've had children, you know what this is all about. You know exactly what this is like. For a long time, our kids were in the lower percentiles in both categories, which worried us at first as young parents. As time went on, however, we became less and less concerned because slowly but surely the kids began to grow. Why was I worried about the growth of our kids? Simply put, I was worried because it's a common and normal expectation for children to grow physically. According to the comparative metric system, by the way, I made up, I made up that terminology, that word right there. I don't think that's actually what it's called, but it sounded good. <laughs> so if you're a medical professional, you can use that if you want to. I, I, I didn't know what it was called. According to the comparative metric system, my kids weren't growing at the rate of other children, and that made me nervous. We all expect physical, physical growth because our bodies are designed for it. For a child not to grow, it would be abnormal. And all of us would wonder what was wrong. Do we think the same way when it comes to our spiritual growth? I think we should. Do we think there's something wrong when we don't grow spiritually? When we become Christians, the Bible says that we are born again. This is more than just a good analogy. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're immersed into a whole new life with a new heart a new mind, and a new nature. Although God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, we still have to grow into spiritual maturity. We are growing in knowledge, grace, discernment, wisdom, love, and faith. Additionally, the call of a disciple is to make more disciples, which essentially means that we are to help one another grow in Christ. Our growth in Christ will never end in this life, which means that wherever we are right now is not the end of the road because there is always more. Everybody say more. more. There is more for us to grow into no matter where we are. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. That's the truth. It's, it, the God that we're following, understanding him, he is inexhaustible, right? Inexhaustible. No matter what we know, it's, it's not all that there is. And so there's always more to know and there's always further to grow. Therefore, it is vital for each one of us to obtain a vision for our growth in Christ if we are to become everything that God has called us to be. This morning, what I'm, what I'm going after, I'm going to say it to you right up front. I am going after each one of us obtaining a vision and a corresponding passion to grow in Christ, to not be content. And so we just declare war on passivity and apathy today. We declare war on passivity and apathy today. It is unacceptable for any of us, and I'm provoking you. I want it to be unacceptable in our lives to stay where we are. I don't want us to put a bookmark in the story of our life and a year from now feel like we're in the same place that we were when we first started. Not acceptable when we know that we're following a God that has more and more and more for us. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, every time I read the same passage, if I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show me something, he always does. 
I mean, I know the passage. I've even preached it, and I'm, I feel embarrassed sometimes because I'm, I've preached some messages, some passages a dozen times, and then all of a sudden something pops out of the text and comes alive to me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never saw that before. Well, what happened? The Holy Spirit revealed something to Ben Dixon, just like he wants to do for each one of us. But we have to have a passion for growth, understanding that God is calling us deeper. He's calling us farther. He's calling us to reach higher. And I want us to have that vision and cultivate that vision, which is why I'm sharing this with you today. And I think when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll find some principles there that I think will help us to really have and cultivate that vision and passion. I want to give you a little context for the letter of 1 Peter, and in specific, chapter 2, we know that the Apostle Peter obviously wrote the letter that we're reading today, and he wrote it to primarily Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad throughout the northern Asia Minor region, which we know as modern-day Turkey. And I've been to Turkey several times, and I look forward to going, to going back, but the believers that he was writing to were scattered throughout this region, and he writes the letter to strengthen the believers who are suffering various levels of persecution, which has obviously caused them to wane in their conviction and their hope, and consequently their Christian lifestyle. And so in verse or in chapter one, one of the things that Peter does is he reminds them of things that they obviously know. They know that who Jesus Christ is. They know that his life, his death, burial, his resurrection, that the life that he gives is eternal and it's more precious than silver and gold. He's reminding them of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for each one of them. And you'll look, at, when you read First Peter, you'll notice that it actually talks about suffering quite a bit. Fifteen times the word suffering is mentioned in the letter of First Peter. In five chapters, he talks about suffering. The believers are going through great difficulty and it's actually mounting up. You know, you'll notice that he'll even talk to those who are suffering just verbal persecution. He'll say, just like Jesus, who when he was insulted or reviled, he did not insult or revile in return. He's equipping them to not have to respond in like kind to those that are seeking to intimidate. You know, and that actually is how persecution starts. It starts verbally before it ever, start, before it ever actually manifests in violence. We may or may not be seeing some of that in our country, but all over the world, we're seeing persecution happen in various places. But I'll tell you, whenever you see verbal persecution, that's the beginning of, what, of where that is, is eventually going to go. We know that from Scripture. We know that from history. And so this is where these believers are, and he's strengthening them. He's giving them, he's reminding them of the anchor that they have in the midst of the storm. Your hope is on Jesus Christ, and not only his return, but who he is to you right now. You have an eternal hope. He then issues a call to practical holiness based on the positional holiness that they have. You know, I just want to explain this really quickly. I know you, you know this, but when we give our lives to Jesus, the Bible says that he makes us the righteousness of God in Christ. It, it, it actually says he makes us holy in Christ. He sets us apart in him. So Jesus made a covenant. The son made a covenant with the father, and we enter into that covenant by faith. And that covenant cannot be broken. You know, under the law, we would break the covenant, right? We couldn't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The law was a tutor to help us understand that we actually needed someone to fulfill it. We needed someone to save us. We needed a glorious savior, and we find that in Jesus Christ. But the father made a covenant with the son. We enter into that covenant by faith. It cannot be broken 
And so we are set apart in Christ. We are made righteous in God's sight because of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we're always living righteously. Everybody blink. (laughs) Because he's made us holy does not mean that we are living holy lives. And so Peter and obviously the other apostles and the other writers of scripture continue to exhort us and admonish us to live in keeping with what Jesus has paid a price for. And this is actually very important for us today because grace might be free for us, but it cost him everything. And so for us to appreciate and walk with grace is to reach up into what he's given to us, what he's afforded for us in Christ so that we live in keeping with the one that we're following. And he gives us the Holy Spirit and the power in order to live in a way that we never could live before. Sometimes today people, we call this maybe hyper grace. They go, I'm, I'm right with God. I'm, I'm right with God. Well, you are right with God, but that's not an excuse for you to live unrighteous lives. In fact, when we really understand grace, it causes us to appreciate Jesus that much more. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Who wants to? None of us want to. We, want, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so he calls them to a practical holiness. He says, you know, put off all those old clothes. You know, those, those are not fitting for who Jesus is and how he's called you in this life. And right before chapter 2, uh, Peter articulates the power of God's word, how it's eternal and then he says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, he says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Directly following this, Peter continues to talk about how each one of us grow together. We're basically a living stone and built upon one another as we grow. The Holy Spirit inhabits us not only as individuals, but as a people. As we look at these three verses today, I think there's a few principles. There's more than three, but I'm just going to share with you three that I think are really important if we're going to have a vision to grow into the fullness of Christ, which is obviously what he has for our life. And the first one I want to highlight to you, which we see from from verse 1, is we must renounce our former sins. In verse 1, he says, put aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And this term, putting aside, means to put off. It's a forceful term. It's an aggressive term. Like, put it off. Get rid of it. That's not who you are anymore. Make sure that you have like this, you have to have a passion to discard the flesh and bring ourselves into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the sins that he mentions, they're more than actions. They're actually attitudes of the heart. You know how we've been talking about the attitudes of the heart and really wanting to have the heart of Christ. Well, this right here, he's saying, we already have been given the fullness, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. We've been given that. But the flesh can be very powerful, especially if we're not dealing with it. Especially if we're not dealing with it. The sins mentioned are attitudes of the heart. So this, somehow this sermon does actually fit into our sermon series. And for some reason, that just makes me smile. I don't know why. It's probably silly, but I'm going to give you a smile today. It's really good. I want to say something to you this morning. I, I think that in the culture that we live in, we kind of have this idea that the reason I don't grow at the rate that I should is because I'm too busy. You know, Pastor Ben, I'm just real busy. And I, when I get around to reading more of the Bible, I will. 
When I get around to getting more involved, I will. When I get around to, you know, when I get more time, then I'll spend more time with God in prayer. You know, it's not always that we lack a desire. If we're truly born again, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, there is a longing. Each one of us has a longing to grow. But you know what happens over time is the flesh can be powerful if we don't make real decisions that in companion with the desire that we have, we will just stay stuck with a desire. And we'll think that the desire in and of itself is good enough, but the desire does not make decisions for you, okay? It just doesn't. So we have to make real decisions by God, with God's help, through God's power, in order to follow Jesus. Because truthfully, it's not about being busy or not being busy. It's about prioritizing what we value. And we can be as close to God as we want to be. And I'm not saying that to guilt anybody or bring guilt on anybody i'm just saying that because that's the truth and unless we believe the truth we won't make the corresponding decisions that we need to and so we've got to remind ourselves this morning that we've got to renounce the former sins and some of those things are are stuff that we don't necessarily always confess he's talking about malice and deceit and hypocrisy and nobody ever owns hypocrisy really that much you know like I'm I have double standards and it's not really the sin that we the that we often confess there are, it's it, hypocrisy is like a tree that's that's planted and there's a lot of fruit on that tree there's a lot of different branches a lot of manifestations come from from that tree the tree of hypocrisy envy and slander a lot of things come out of that that we've talked about for the last several weeks but I want to say this I want to make this comment the, the main reason, and I think we see it in this passage, the greatest hindrance to our spiritual growth is not being busy. It's unrepentant, unconfessed, and undealt with sin. That's the big glaring wall in front of us. But it's not always like the sins that we think of when, when we're just sort of sitting down thinking like, oh, I'm, I don't struggle with that anymore. I don't struggle. It's the sins of the heart. It's the sins of the heart that keep us back from being sensitized to the Holy Spirit and becoming the people that look more and more like Jesus. And I think anybody that has a casual relationship with sin in their life, anybody that has a casual relationship with sin in their life, usually robs themselves of a vision to grow. You have a bookmark in the story of your life and you just don't keep going forward. And, you know, then we make these statements. Well, I've known the Lord for a long time. You know, I've known the Lord for years and years, and he's faithful. The question isn't, is he faithful? The question is, are we? You missed that opportunity right there. (laughs) I gave you one, and it didn't. When I was young, I I hated to get dirty. I'm going to open up a little bit here. I know there's a few of you out there, though. I really do. They're probably online, though, so it's not you guys. I hated to get dirty when I was when I was young. I'm still the same. I'm still the same way. I, I, my kids are actually that way too. I, I shouldn't tell on them. It's not fair, but they're not here, so I'll go ahead and do it. <laughs> Just hate getting dirty. And and I remember when I was playing baseball when I was when I was a young guy, and you get those nice clean uniforms, and I never wanted to slide. <laughs> and and my coach, he actually picked up on this, and he said, Dixon, you get out here. We're not even playing a game, but he just wanted to prove a point. I don't know if you can do that anymore, but back then you could do it. He would, Dixon, I want you to slide right into second. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. He said, slide into second. <laughs> no. So I slid into second and got all dirty. And I think he was trying to prove a point that, you know, if you come to play, you, you need to play. And he, he didn't, honestly, I don't think I learned anything from that other than I didn't like him. <laughs> but uh, I just didn't, I just didn't like getting dirty. In fact, I'll, I'll give you another confession. I, I'm 
I'm kind of an ironaholic. <laughs> this is sort of a funny one. I, uh, I've got a reason for it, but I don't have time to get into it. But I'm, I'm sort of an ironaholic. You know, sometimes I'm really tempted to go, even between services, go iron my shirt again. I know it sounds terrible. <laughs> I iron the clothes in my house. I know it's funny, but I, I iron my kids' clothes. I'll look at them and go, that's not acceptable. <laughs> you know, because it's free to iron. Did you know that? It's free. Like, it doesn't cost any money or anything. We can hit that with an iron. We can start a ministry. I've discipled a lot of people, and I've actually discipled most of them to iron. I'm actually telling you the truth. I really have. You laugh, but the people that I've discipled laugh even more. I'm like, you need to hit that with an iron. You really do. But the Bible says in Ephesians 5.27 that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or... So, you got to iron that thing out, you know. The point that I'm making in all the silliness is that we need to be the same way with our, with our sin. No casual relationship with our sin. Just like my kids, just like myself. I, just, I, I don't even want to touch it. I don't want to, it's like dirt. I don't, I don't want to get close to it. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to live a holy life. I want my, what's in my, I, I, my closet is clean. You understand? I got no secrets. I'm not hiding anything from anybody. You can walk in the light, the Bible says, as he is in the light, and then you have fellowship with one another, and the, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When you walk in the light, you've got, nothing to, you've got nothing to be afraid of. I'm not afraid of anybody finding out anything. I'm walking in, in the light. I want to live a holy life. If, if we want to have a vision to grow, if we want to grow in Christ, we have to walk in the light. You, I mean, let me just say it like this. You have to walk in the light. One of the biggest reasons that we don't grow is because we don't renounce. We don't cast off. We don't throw aside the sin. We treat it casually like we'll get around to it someday. Like slander, a little bit of gossip's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Why? Because it's hindering our growth. Why? Because it stops us from being like Jesus. He wasn't like that. And he wants us to be like him. And so he's calling us deeper into these places. And you know, I, I love knowledge. I study the Bible every day. I read lots of books. But the thing is, is that knowledge can puff up. Now, especially in our culture, knowledge can make you think that you're real spiritual. It can make us think that we're real spiritual. And, and we use it to like, to kind of elevate ourselves from other people. We, we use knowledge. But the fact is, God really knows where all of us are. <laughs> Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, I want all of us to grow in knowledge. That's something we want to grow into. But that knowledge has to move into a lifestyle. And when it doesn't, there's something in the way. And it's usually a wall of some kind of undealt with sin. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to bring conviction into our life. And there's a lot of theology out there today that acts like, you know, um, I've called it hyper grace, and I'll deal with it in another, another message series. But I've had, I've had people read some of the popular books today, and they'll come up to me and like they'll say things like, "Well, you know, God's not displeased with me at all. He's he's completely and totally pleased with me in Christ." And I'm like, "Salvationally, you're right, but you're misunderstanding your behavior for a second. Now, you're not saved by your behavior. You're saved by your faith in Christ." Okay, salvation comes by what he did, and we believe in that. We, sur we surrender to him wholeheartedly. We repent from our past, and we turn to God in fullness, and it's what he did that causes us to be born again and saved. Salvation comes from the Lord, but let's not misunderstand it. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can grieve any relationship when you walk in a manner that isn't in keeping with that relationship. And it's odd to think otherwise, like God just winks at sin like he doesn't care. Any good father would not want their son or daughter to misbehave in a way that's destructive towards them. 
I mean, that would, I mean, God's a better father than any of us or, 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 or even mother or whatever. He's a better father than all of us combined. And so he cares about the details of our life because he wants us to walk in step with him the way that he created us. He knows what's destructive. And so he's convicting us for a reason. He's not just convicting us because every time we step over the line, he's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, it's like operation. <laughs> ah, I hated that game. I could never, you ever play that? It's just, that's, that's not from heaven at all. That game's like, <laughs> it's a terrible game. I don't think anybody ever won. We just all love to get electrocuted. <laughs> why, why, why does it taste like metal in my mouth? <laughs> Hopefully they don't sell it anymore. Anyhow, if you don't know what that game is, you're better off. The truth is, is that I, I had a guy walk into my office one time, and he, and he said, he, he read this new book, and I, I won't drop the name. I'll drop the name at a later time, because I have no problem doing that, because when stuff's theologically wrong, it's wrong. But... He read this new book, and he was like, God's pleased with me no matter what I do. I said, really, no matter what you do, God's pleased with you. And he's, he's assuming God's pleased with all my behavior. I said, that's just kind of a ridiculous statement. God's pleased with you in Jesus salvationally, but are you, are you saying relationally, salvationally and relationally? Is that what you're saying? He said, yeah. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If I punched you as hard as I could right now, would God be pleased with my behavior? And he said, no. And I just blinked at him. Looks like you got a problem. Is you just said that no matter what you do, God wouldn't be, God wouldn't have a problem with you. Now all of a sudden, if I did this to you, you're saying God wouldn't be pleased, God wouldn't be pleased with my behavior. But I know him just like you do. So what's the issue? The issue is he read some book that's trying to help people salvationally, and it's just washing over our relation. If you grieve the Lord, you come to him. You don't have to get saved again, but you come to him and say, Father, I'm sorry that I grieved you, and that's not in keeping with who you are. I mean, it's just odd that we wouldn't do that. That's not a relationship to act like, you know, it's covered. It is covered, but you come to him relationally, right? Living a holy life. I, I mean, I believe we have to go back to preaching this kind of stuff. It's very important. Look what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set out for us. See, every one of us has a race that's set out for us, individually, but also corporately. God has called us each to something, and God has called us together to something. We have a race that's marked out for us, and there is sin that will easily entangle us. And if we're not mindful of that, if we're not throwing it off and casting it off regularly, if we're not regularly pruning our lives, it will trip us up, and we will, we will be on the bench instead of on the field. That's, that's exactly what will happen. We won't be running the race anymore. That bookmark will stay where where it is, and God keeps calling us out of that. I remember um, I was preaching at a retreat one time, and there was, this, there was a, a younger guy, he was maybe 19 years old or so, 18, something like that, and I laid hands on him, and I love it when this happens. I laid hands on him, and he began to speak in heavenly language. He began to speak in tongues. Now, I didn't coach him. I didn't say, say this or do this. If you're new to that, we're going to get around to that as well, but uh, Pastor Steve Shell has laid thorough foundation on baptism with the Holy Spirit and one of the few pastors, to be honest with you, why I respect him so deeply, he's not shied away from anything. Yeah. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And give it up for Pastor Steve, I'll tell you what. And so he, as I laid hands on this young man, he began to speak in tongues. I, I didn't say anything about speaking in, in a heavenly language. I didn't coach him, not, nothing. He just started doing it. And I asked him, I said, hey, what happened right there? I mean, I knew, but I was just trying to ask him, you know. 
what happened right there? And he said, I, have, I don't know what happened. And he, he began to tell me that he grew up in a church that didn't believe in any of that stuff. I said, well, sounds like you've got a conflict of theology now. Got a problem because you just did something that you were taught wasn't real and nobody forced you to do it. And so I took the guy like under my wing just to kind of disciple him or whatever. And we'd meet once a week. We met for many months, many, many months, six, seven, eight months. I don't remember exactly, but I'd meet with him once a week and we'd go through the Bible together and we'd talk about discipline and how to walk with the Lord in a way where you get up at a certain time and you spend time with Jesus every day, all of that stuff. And it was really great. It was a good discipleship relationship. And I remember one week he didn't show up for our time together. And then that week turned into three weeks and it turned into six weeks. And I'm calling and texting because I'm pretty relentless. And so he just wasn't responding to me at all. And I'm not legalistic in the sense of like, you better do this, but I care, right? I care about him. And so I'm like, hey, man, where you at? Where you at? Whatever. I think it was a couple months went by or whatever, and then finally he got back to me, and I just mentioned, hey, I want to see you, because I can't do much over text or calling. I'd like to see you. Will you come and to one of the services, or let's have coffee? And so he shows up, and he introduces me to his, this wonderful, beautiful young woman, his fiance. It's just been several months, so now he's engaged. And I was like, uh-oh, where is this going? Can I just tell you where I'm at here? So uh, it's kind of quick. So anyhow, he um, introduces me, and they start talking about how they moved in together because they're trying to save money, and they did the whole thing. And I just listened to me. I lived a life of sin. I was friends with sin for a long time. So I can look you in the face and say, I'm not here to judge anybody, but I'm going to tell you, we're, I'm, not, I'm not a fool either. I know where that stuff goes. When you compromise and you go down, it's a slippery slope. You fall into that stuff. And, and it's destructive for our lives. So without this like religious overtone, I, I just said to him, man, I, I just, I can't see you going down this, down this road. I, I, and I'm trying to talk with them and they're not hearing me. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not hearing me. And so I kind of got frustrated. I said, hey, how about we meet on Friday? You, you both come over to our house. And during that time, my wife and I made a decision that if we're going to preach to people about, hey, you need to separate before you, you know, until you're married or whatever, that we need to offer them help. And so we actually decided that we would free up one of our rooms and we would give them a space for free and all of that. So we're going to offer them help and not just preach at them. So they came to our house and we said, hey, we've got a great idea. One of you can move into our house and we'll do pre-marriage counseling for 90 days, something like that, and just to see where you guys are at. Free rent, all of that. You guys can live here for free. You can eat here for free, all, all that. With a smile on our face. It was so great. We were excited. And we're like, it's, a, it's an invitation. We're not obligating you to this. We can't make you do this, but we think this is a very viable option. And I believe that God will bless you if you just give yourself to him, if you give him your future, right? Do it his way and he'll bless it. And so they were kind of negotiating with us or whatever. And again, I got a little frustrated. So I said, hey, to the guy, so why don't you just come out with me and let's take a drive because this isn't going anywhere. And then my wife can talk to your fiance. And so him and I drove down to the park and ride, which wasn't that far down the road. And there's a restaurant right next to it. And we're parked in this park and ride. And uh, what I'm about to tell you is kind of crazy, but it really did happen. All right. Now, I'm, I'm as honest as I can be before God. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened without exaggeration because it is a little crazy. So we're talking, and I'm not getting anywhere, and I go, hey, bro, can I just pray for you? Can I just lay hands on you? And, and just like a good Pentecostal, I laid hands on him, and I was like, God, <laughs> I just pray for my friend. You know, I'm exaggerating, but I really did. I mean, I just went for it because I was a little frustrated too. So 
as I'm praying for him, the word fire, I'm just like, God, I pray for your holy fire. And I'm thinking like God's a consuming fire. I'm just thinking like just burn up the f- desires that are of the flesh. And I just start praying. It came out of my mouth like many times. God, I just pray for a holy fire to come upon unnamed friend. And by the time I said this three times, this word fire, all of a sudden we heard this whoosh because our windows were open. Our windows were open. We're next to this big bush, not just little plants, big bush. And we heard this whoosh. And I look over, both of us get surprised. We look over and the bush next to our car literally went on fire. (laughs) Whoosh. And I'm looking around like for the cigar smoker or whatever, but I'm not I'm not exaggerating. It wasn't a little fire like this little light of mine. It was like, it was a Exodus 3 burning bush. But this bush was burning up. So I look at him and he looks at me and it's a very confusing moment. And, and I kid you not, I was like literally like the fear of God was on me at that moment. Like the fear of God. And then the restaurant, people in the restaurant start running out with a fire extinguisher, and I was not about to explain any of that, so I put my car in reverse, and we, we went. And it was, that's the truth. And then it was a very quiet ride home. The only thing I said to him was, you saw that, right? And he goes, yeah. And I go, that was God. And he goes, yeah. That's all. And so we get to the house, and I walk in, and my wife goes, how was your drive? And I just said, it was fine. I, for a while, I had a hard time telling the story because I, I did everything I could to think through that. Like, what really happened that day? What really happened is I prayed f- for fire to consume his fleshly desires, and God showed up in a sign, wonder, and miracle right there. I've analyzed it every way you can, ladies and gentlemen. It was an absolute miracle. It's not the only one that I've seen. Like uh, I've seen other signs and wonders like that. But this was, God showed up for this guy. To tell him that he loved him. And I, I, this plan, I have a plan for you. And I just thought, what, what mercy, what love for God to do something like that. I mean, strange, of course, but wow. So I just said to them, why don't you pray about it for a week? Give me a call in a week and let me know your decision. A week goes by, they give me a call. And on the phone, they're both on the phone. And they're basically just saying, well, we just really feel like God is leading us to keep doing what we're doing. And, and that he's not, you know, here was the narrative. He's not upset with us. He's not, he loves us and all this stuff. And I'm honestly, in my mind, I'm like, you're preaching another Jesus. You, you must think of God as a grandfather and not a father. A grandfather doesn't have to think about discipline. Now, some of you have. You're like, Ben, you don't know. I, I, I've had to do it in place of my kids. All right, so, hey, all right, fine. But grandmas and grandpas, you know, they just get to lavish. They don't have to think through the whole, they, you, I've already been through this, <laughs> you know, Good luck. I'm going to drop them off. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. But like C.S. Lewis says, some people mistake God as a father for a grandfather. And they fail to understand. We fail to understand. When we say good, good father, sometimes I think we're we're actually singing, God, I want you to give me everything I want, and uh, and I don't want any discipline, and I don't want want you to prune my life, and I don't want to ever feel uh, conviction. I just want to feel good. I want to be good. I want you to tell me that I'm awesome, and everything I do is awesome. Good, good father. He's not a good, good grandfather. No offense, grand, grandmas and grandpas, you're amazing, but, and I'm going to be one someday. So I'm excited about that. And it's going to be sooner than you think. I'm 39, and I have a 27-year-olds. I could be 41 and be a grandfather. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. 
It is crazy. You know what I learned through that story? You can walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. You can have a miracle of God show up. And you can still, you can still worship your idols. You can still worship your idols. Sometimes we're praying for God to show up. And we're doing that because we're unwilling to make the choice to turn from our sin. God will show up. But sometimes he's waiting on us. We're waiting on him, but he's waiting on us to make a choice that his word already tells us to make. We see, we, we've got the word of God. It already says, turn from your sin. Cast that off. Why? Because our father knows that it will destroy our life. Renounce our former sins. It's what's best for us. And when we do that, we find the blessing of the Lord will come and the power will be there for us to follow through. It's not a burden that we, that we have somehow without God being involved in our, in our lives, but God wants to help us to do just that. We renounce our former sins. The second thing I think we read about in Peter here is we must recapture our passion for God's word. In verse two, Peter says, like a newborn baby long for the pure milk of the word in order to grow. Peter is giving a metaphor of a baby longing for milk being the same as our desire for his word. And anybody that's, had, that's been a parent in this room or anybody that's been, you don't have to be a parent, been close to a baby you know that the baby doesn't, isn't even concerned about anybody's sleep. They're not concerned about what you're doing. When they're hungry, they let the whole house know it because they are craving food. They need milk. And so they're just going to scream until they get what they need. And I think this is a beautiful metaphor for us that we need to recapture a passion for God's word. And he uses the metaphor like a child that craves, desires, longs for. Do you crave? Do I crave the word of God? That's the metaphor that's being used. That's what Peter's saying, craving the word of God so that we might grow up in respect to our salvation. And if we were to reverse that, it could be said that we cannot grow in Christ without his word in our life. We need to have a daily dose of God's word in our life. Let me encourage you. Let me just encourage you to say it like this. We need water. We need food. And spiritually speaking, we need God's food in our life. When, when we don't put God's food into our life, his word into our life, we find that we are deficient. We find that things that we could do, things that we would know, things that, steps that we would take, all of a sudden, we don't, our, our bones, our, our, our heart, our backbone, it's not as strong to take the steps that we need to take to say the things that we need to say because we lack the nourishment that we need. We're not as strong. We're not as built up. We need God's holy word in our lives. And this is the metaphor that he's giving to us. The word for pure here, he says the pure milk of the word. It means unadulterated or not deceitful. In those days, merchants would add water to their milk to make more profit. The term that we would use today is watered down. He's saying desire, long for, crave the version of truth, right? The word of God that's not watered down because when you water it down, the power that's attached to the word is not available. When you water it down, it, it actually is it's still the same thing. You, you hear what you want to hear. We need the promises and we need the blessings of God. And we, and we, need, or we need the warnings is what I meant. We need the warnings just as much as we need the promises. Amen? I don't know about you, but when I'm driving my car and the warning light turns on, I'm thankful that it turns on because it's telling me that something's wrong. It's telling me that I need to address something in my car. And if it didn't do that, I could just break down at any time. I'm grateful for smoke alarms in my house. I love the fact that we have CO2, the carbon monoxide detectors that tell us that there's too much carbon monoxide in the atmosphere because if you go to sleep 
and that continues to happen in your house, you may not wake up. So I'm thankful for alarms in my life. I'm thankful for the warnings in my life because I need the warnings. But for some reason, it seems like the culture is trying to make Christianity or, or conform Christianity to this compromised place. And we just have to just go to the Word of God. Crave the pure, unadulterated Word of God. If it strikes my heart, awesome, I need it. If it encourages my heart, awesome, I need it. But whatever it says is what I need. He's saying crave the non-watered-down version we need God's word. We need to recapture a desire for his word. And the third and final thing that I, I see in this passage is we must remember the goodness of God. See, if we're going to have a vision to grow, if we're really going to grow in Christ, we have to remember the goodness of God in our life. What does he say in verse 3? He says, if we have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This term, if we have, really means since we have. That's the implication. Since we have tasted the kindness or the goodness of the Lord, similar word, synonymous terms, since we have tasted the goodness of the Lord, we will grow. Since we have tasted the goodness of the Lord, we will grow. We will long for the pure milk of the word. We will cast off the sin. Whenever you remember what God has done for you, it causes you to be lifted a little higher than your discouragement. See, here's the deal. Right now in this room, you might be in a place of despair. You might be in a place of discouragement. You might be in a place of excitement. There's all kinds of places that each one of us can be at in this room right now Every, everybody's not in the same place but the fact is is that the word of god addresses every place that we are it will give us the endurance we need to keep going and it will give us the picture of jesus that we need to continue following the word of god will do that but one of the things that we need especially when we're in discouragement or we're in despair or we're in a place of contending and we need God's anchor of hope in our life to remind us when we remember what God has done, it causes us to have a vision for where we're going. And this is a powerful thing that we need in this moment is to be reminded of God's deliverance, God's healing, God's love, God's mercy, God's power in our life so that we can continue to believe that he's going to do it again because that's the God that we serve. We serve a God that continues to be faithful to his character, to his word, and to his nature. And he will continue to be who he is. And we just need to be reminded in moments where we come into the lull that we're about to come up. Why? Because it's who God is. He'll lift us up. Now, our external reality may not change. That's not what I'm suggesting today. Our external reality, how people treat us, what people say about us, the things that are happening in our life... Listen, those things might not fully change. We pray, we contend, we believe all of that. But what's on the inside, right, can be strong and true just as the word of God says. I wanted to close by telling you this story. I, I, before coming here, I travel around to churches and speak at different conferences and things like that. And one time I was at a, I was at the, I was at a meeting and I was preaching. At the end of the night, I'd usually pray for people and uh, there were like, there were a lot of folks there, and I saw this guy who was all the way in the back, and he's making eye contact with me, and so I know that he was trying to get my attention, and he some, probably wanted to talk to me for some reason, and, and so as I'm praying for people, he's kind of coming closer. You know, now he's at the eighth row, and now he's at the second row, and so, of course, at the end of my time praying for people, I said, sir, do you, did you want to talk to me? And he said, said, yeah, I did, and I thought maybe I was going to pray for him like I had just prayed for two, three dozen people, and he said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And he was kind of like, he had erratic behavior and he, he was kind of handling himself in a way that confirmed my suspicion. We sat down and he told me that he was a recovering heroin addict 
and he was recently, he'd recently come back to the Lord. And he's clearly in withdrawal. I, I just know what it looks like. He's in withdrawal, and he's telling me that he's got a word, a word from God for me. And so I'm a little hesitant, but I'm, in my mind, I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. And I said, tell me the word that you have. And he says, God told me to tell you to not forget where you came from. That's, how, that's all he said. I said, so let me get this straight. God told you. And in my mind, I'm like, how did he tell you? How did he tell you? You know. God mo- told me to tell you, don't forget where you came from. That was it. Never saw the guy again. He walked out, never saw him again. And in my mind, for some reason, I took that as a negative. Have you ever done that before? You get a word and you automatically go to the negative. It implied that I had forgotten something. And so I'm thinking, what did I forget? Lord, what did I forget? How am I not representing you right? Am I, is there hypocrisy in my life? There was, none of those things were clarified. But I, for some reason, took it as a negative, and I wrote him off. Because <laughs> you've never done that before. But I wrote him off. <laughs> I get in my car, and I'm driving home. No, it wasn't like that. I was just driving home. I'm driving home, and you know what God will do? That word will stick. It's like an echo. It just keeps coming. It just irritates you until you finally own it. And you break down and you go, okay, Lord, what have I done? Where have I forgotten to, forgotten where I come from? And by the time I got home, the Lord had reminded me that I had stopped sharing my testimony. I was preaching. I was ministering and all that. But when I lost touch with where I'd come from, I really did. What I, what I was doing is I was losing touch of my own spiritual development with where I was at. God wanted me to reach higher and go so much further. But to do that, I, he wanted to remind me of where I came from. And I realized in that moment that I'd stopped sharing my testimony with a lot of people like I once did. I'd just share all over the place, like Mr. Evangelist. That's not my gift, but I just would. And, and now, I mean, he reinvigorated me. He gave me that passion back. He reminded me of his goodness in my life. And so now you can't stop me. I mean, I think I've shared part of my testimony with you almost every week. You hear it coming out of me. I, I bleed it. God wanted me to remember where I came from because it's his goodness in my life that keeps me moving forward. So if you're cutting my hair, whatever's left of it, I'm going to tell you about God's goodness. If you're helping me in the store, I'm going to tell you about God's goodness. I went to Winco last night, ladies and gentlemen. That is a great place to preach. <laughs> My gosh. Have you been there at night? You, you're laughing for a reason. It is powerful. Oh my gosh. I remind people of the goodness of God through sharing my story. And he reminds me through that. Can I remind you? Can I remind you of God's goodness in your life this morning? You know what that will do when you remember what God has done? You all of a sudden have a vision for where he's taken you because he's not done yet. He's not done yet. Get a vision to grow. We want a vision to grow in Christ. There is more. Everybody say more. more. There is more than we have right now. There is more than we know right now. There is more than, than we've experienced right now. There is more. I don't want any of us to stay where we are. And you know what I've learned? Sometimes, like this story I just told you, sometimes God will put in front of you a package that offends you in order to get you to the next level. I might be that package, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you see what I did there? It was really good. It's really true. It's really true. Some of my closest friends are people I didn't like at first. 
But you know what I realized? I realized that God introduced people that were not like me into my story, into my life, because he wanted me to deny myself and get past myself in order to receive what he had. And he wasn't going to give it to me in a com- convenient way. He wasn't going to give it to me in the way that, 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 I, that I was used to or the way that I would have liked it to come. He wanted to give me what he had for my life in a way that initially kind of offended me a little bit. The package wasn't what it was about. It was about what he was giving me through the package. And if I can humble myself, remember he says, humble yourself like a child. So you got to get low so that you can receive sometimes what God has for you. It takes humility in order for us to move on with God. He wants to remind us. We, we get high and mighty. We get filled with knowledge. We, I'm such a good Christian. And we forget where we came from that all of us were just dirty, rotten sinners. Can I say that to you this morning? We forget that our righteousness were filthy rags before God. All of us in this room, not one of us is exempt. And I can preach, it doesn't matter what you do in this world or in society, it doesn't matter how much money you make, I can say this to every person, including myself, that our righteousness is filthy rags before God, and we are all in the same place, receiving the same grace, and God wants to remind us of His goodness in our life, no matter where we are, because He's got more for us than where we're at right now. A vision to grow. Let me pray for us this morning. Amen. Go ahead and let's stand, actually, as we pray. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we receive your word, and we ask you, Lord, as you, by the Holy Spirit, you call us to grow. We pray that we would hear that echo in our own hearts. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace, the empowerment this morning to cast off and renounce former sin. Anything that's plaguing us right now, Lord, we would resist it and we would cast it off. It's not for us that we were created new in your identity to be more and more like Jesus. Lord, help us right now to follow you in that way. We also pray that we could recapture a passion for your word today. If we're not reading it and studying it, if we're not passionate, I pray for that that holy hunger to fill us today. I pray for that passion and desire. We'll see revival when we come back to the Bible. Lord, I pray for that for all of us today, that we don't rely on former knowledge, but Lord, we, we move ahead and grab hold for more with a passion for your word. And I pray that you would remind us of your goodness we remember your goodness to save us, to deliver us, to set us free, and we're not, you're not done yet. And so, God, I just prophesy over our church today that God's not done with your life, and he is taking you further than you've ever gone. Lord, we yield to that. We yield to you this morning. We ask for more because there's more for us to have. May we glorify you by the way we live our life, and as we position ourselves this morning, we receive what you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you in this life. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. God's people said, let me, let me commission you with a benediction. As you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of his voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. We've been commissioned by him to go out into this world and bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen.